Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Expensive booze ruined me. An older friend gave me a sip of a 21-year-old scotch while I was in college, and I stopped drinking beer after that. I saved all my money for top shelf liquors that I would savor over the course of months until I had enough money to buy another bottle. After graduation, I took a job with a marketing firm, and that kept me flush so that I could stock two, maybe three bottles in my cabinet. I still drank sparingly, however, savouring the rich flavours and seeking out local distilleries in the snobbish supposition that it not being widely available made it better. It tasted more pure, unsolid by rampant commercialism. I favour earthy and smoky flavours. I joked that I'd lick a peat bog if given the opportunity. Mineral flavours are also acceptable, and every now and then, I chance upon a full-bodied, spiced taste that I enjoy. Fruit is straight out. Florals or honey is sometimes okay, but overall, I just enjoy trying new things. Nothing is as exciting as bringing home a small bottle of something new and pouring that first glass, admiring the colours, and then trying the first sip and letting it roll across my tongue. Gin has been my vice of choice recently. It makes my friends shudder, but I enjoy the harsh gins that feel like I have pine needles stuck between my teeth. However, when my dream job came across my radar, I abandoned gin in an instant to return to my former love, bourbon. The job posting was for a small, family-owned distillery in the heart of Bourbon County. They wanted someone to handle local marketing efforts as well as plan a strategy for expansion. Interestingly, the job required the applicant to relocate. We're a family, the posting read, and we want to welcome you into our family as well. The pay was less than what I was currently making, but there were a lot of intangible benefits. I hadn't settled down in my current area, and I wasn't sure I wanted to. It was too big to have the character of a small town, but too small to have the excitement of a city. The result was a drab, featureless speed bump along the highway, notable only as a place to fill up on gas while on the way to more interesting locations. I was anxious to leave it behind. This job would put me in an exciting part of Kentucky, and even if the town itself was boring, there were plenty of nearby locations that I would enjoy. And if the job didn't work out long term, well, it would look good on any resume to be the one in charge of designing a strategy instead of just executing it. I applied and got the job. Three weeks and a moving van later, I was in a small, 
two-bedroom house at the edge of the city center. It was a rental, as the only apartment complexes were one town over, but it was better kept than most places I've lived at. The town center certainly had character, with an antique shop, a mom-and-pop restaurant that specialized in pies, the bar that stocks all the local bourbons, and a store that sold only guns and had iron bars over the window. The distillery was everything I'd hoped for. I've seen the ones in the city, an hour from where I used to live, that were sleek and modern, with viewing windows from the cement-floored bar and brushed metal countertops. Everything you'd expect from a distillery built in the last decade. This one, however, oozed charm. My new employer met me in their farmhouse, which they lived in and also doubled as their office. I could see through the open office door into their living room and Maria, the owner's wife, was in the kitchen making breakfast. I filled out a bunch of obligatory paperwork and then my new boss, John, invited me to sit down with them at the kitchen table. Over a plate of waffles and sliced strawberries, they told me about the distillery. Family owned, theoretically shut down during prohibition, etc, etc. The standard story you hear at almost every distillery around here. Everyone in the family had a part to play. John handled all the financials and made a lot of the decisions. Maria was responsible for the whiskey itself and had a hand in every type of mash they produced. She also did quality control. Their sons did deliveries and general brute labor. There were some brothers and sisters and nieces and nephews that helped out as well. In particular, a brother that managed procurement. The whiskey line was pretty standard. A straight Kentucky bourbon, nothing fancy. A small batch they ran with different flavors each time, and then their single barrels, which were the most fascinating of what they produced. These were Maria's darlings, John told me. It's always the same names with the same flavors, brewed one barrel at a time. Bones of the Earth, which had a mineral aftertaste. In stark contrast is Smokehouse, which has a full body, tasting primarily of candied bacon. Lifeblood is one I actively dislike, as it is aged in old wine barrels and has a salty undertone that I find harsh and unpleasant, despite the sweetness of the grapes. Its fans are strangely devoted because the handful of people that enjoy it often buy out the entire stock the day it's released. My favorite is certainly Love's Devotion, which is similar to Bones of the Earth, with a mineral aftertaste reminding me of iron. But it is also full-bodied, with an intense and complex flavor that I struggle to describe. John just laughs when I try and says it'll come to me someday. I thought it was interesting that Maria's single-barrel experiments were the same bourbons over and over. She just told me that it was due to the demand of the locals. They didn't sell their single barrels outside of town. Everyone here had a bottle or two in their house, and they gave me a bottle of my own, the bones of the earth on my first day. I was family now, they beamed, and I was enchanted. I said to my work, designing a strategy tailored to the region that would help boost sales of their main line and open doors for their small batch. It worked well, and so they kept me on and asked that I start looking towards expansion. They had to scale up their production, so I had some time. 
The distillery is in a lovely building designed to match the renovated barn that stores their barrels. It is one mash tank and they'd like to add another before considering moving into grocery stores. To start with, I needed a compelling sales pitch, one tailored for the people that would sign the contracts instead of the average consumer. I put together numbers and spreadsheets and sales and then it was time to compress all of this into one glossy package. I decided to focus on the brand loyalty the bourbon carried. To do this, I went to the town bar. I was pretty much a local at this point. I'd been here long enough that people were quick to welcome me in. They were receptive for being interviewed for the portfolio I was assembling, and I ordered everyone a round of smokehouse. This is my last bottle, the bartender said sadly as he poured. They've got a couple more barrels, almost aged but I hope they make more soon. It'll be terrible for us if they run out completely. There is no set production schedule for their single barrel bourbon. It seems to be whenever Maria feels like it. In the past, I tentatively brought up the subject of making more of it so it could be marketed outside of the town. But John and Maria were adamantly against the idea. Well, it reminds me of the old traditions, one man named Greg said when I asked him to tell me what he loves about the bourbon. He held his glass up to the light, contemplatively. You know, the ones my parents practiced, and that they learned from their parents, and so on. There was a real hard winter many generations ago, another man, Stephen said. The town thought it wasn't going to make it. So John and Maria's great-great-grandparents brewed some special bourbon, and they say it nourished the spirit and the body gave people the strength to keep going, Greg said. We've been drinking this bourbon for generations, Stephen continued. They've kept the recipe unchanged. I thought it was one of Maria's experiments, I replied, confused. They shook their heads adamantly. I was given my first glass when I was 12, Greg said. It changed me. It changed all of us. I rapidly wrote down what they said. I said this was great stuff. This was an amazing origin story. Family recipe, saving the town. People would eat this up. Then, Stephen put a large, worn hand over mine, stopping my pen's movement. Best not spread that outside town, he said warily. The town doesn't like outsiders snooping into our history. You weren't born here, so you don't know but you should really be careful about who you tell all this to. It was a threat. A gentle, concerned one, but a threat nonetheless. His eyes were soft with sorrow as he delivered the words, knowing that I considered him a friend, just as I considered everyone here a friend. I told him that I understood, of course. I would never do anything that would harm this town that has so graciously made me one of them. And he'd murmured that was good and went back to drinking his bourbon. I scrapped that angle. Clearly, customer testimony and brand loyalty wasn't the way to go. I'd go with a cookie-cutter family-owned pitch instead. Be sparse on the details because everyone has heard that story already. Instead, I'd focus on aesthetics, pictures of the barn, of the bottles and the barrels. I got my camera out for I'd learned to do photography as part of my job here, and went to the barn. The photos came up merely okay. 
and as I looked at them in disappointment, I had an idea. Sundown, I thought. Catch some photos as the sunset poured in through the windows high at the top of the barn. I didn't know if it would work, but it'd be worth a try. As I left, Maria waved at me. We're going to be making more of our single barrels, she told me. John's brother got us the ingredients we need. What flavor do you want me to set aside for you? They always gave me a bottle of the small batch for free. It was a kind gesture, I thought. I told her I was really fond of love's devotion, and she smiled and said of course she'd reserve a bottle for me. That evening, I returned to the distillery. I went to the barn where the casks sat aging and snapped some photos. The results seemed promising, so I continued until the sunlight was gone entirely and then went back to my car. My path took me past the distillery. The lights were on inside and I heard voices. John's brother swearing. His words were startlingly loud and I could hear them through the wooden walls. The bugger bit me, he complained. Well, that's your fault for not gagging him better, Maria replied disdainfully. My stomach twisted at the words. I could only hope they were talking about some animal, like a feral dog. I edged around to the distillery doors and gently eased it open a crack so I could peer inside. A man, naked and gagged with his wrists tied together, was hanging from the ceiling by a chain wrapped around his ankles. He was alive, struggling weakly, and his movements grew slower and slower as I watched, until they finally stopped. Dark blood drained down his face from his neck, collecting in a large metal barrel positioned underneath him. Maria was watching the procedure with hawk-like intensity, the same scrutiny she gave a bourbon. John was sharpening a butcher's knife, a series of tubs were positioned nearby. They were waiting to receive the rest of the body. I learned this when John cut the dead man's chest open to remove the heart and placed it in one bin, which Maria quickly whisked away. The meat went into another, the bones into a third, and the scraps into the fourth. I shouldn't have stayed there as long as I did, but I was frozen by horror into immobility it gave my mother ample time in which to text me a photo of her cat. Like most people, my phone is perpetually on vibrate. The sound of it in my back pocket was audible though, and my heart went into a frenzy in terror that it had been heard. I didn't stay to find out. I let go of the door and bolted, keeping low and too scared to even breathe. I reached my car, flung myself in, and peeled out of there as rapidly as I dared. I saw a square of light fall on the yard in my rearview mirror as the delivery doors were flung open. They'd heard my car. I accelerated, speeding all the way back to my house. I grabbed my laptop and a few other necessities. I had to flee, I thought. I had to get out of here and then figure out who to call. The sheriff? The FBI? I wasn't sure who to trust. Just as I was about to return to my car, there was a knock at my door. It was Maria and John. We need to talk, John said solemnly when I opened it. 
Maria carried a shotgun, and so I let them in, numb with the certainty of my own death. You understand, the bourbon is special to people here, right? John asked. They told me it saved the town long ago, I said weakly. People started dying of cold and starvation. The town was too afraid to do what had to be done. So our family took the first step. They cooked up the meat and distributed it. The bones, the heart, the blood, and a bit of flesh they saved were added to their bourbon barrels. It aged and it absorbed the flavors of the dead. Made it more palatable, you see. And the next time a bad winter came along, people weren't so afraid to do whatever it took to survive. Why do you keep making it? I cried, tears finally overflowing onto my cheeks. It nourishes the body and the spirit, Maria said gently. It's changed us. It's part of who we are. We don't need to make more than we need. That's why we don't want you to sell it outside of town. It's just for us. I can't do this anymore, I whispered. Not after this. You've drank the essence of the dead, Maria said tonelessly. You can't go back. Then they left. They took my phone with them, but left my laptop so I could continue working on my marketing plan. I was family now, John said, and they were going to tell me the secrets of their family business at some point, so it was a little early. It was fine. They trusted that I understood. I spent a sleepless night, throwing up in the bathroom. Finally, around midnight, I could think about the man's belly being slit open without vomiting, and I went to my bed and lay there in the dark, pale and fragile, waiting for morning. After that, I was watched. There was always a pickup parked across the street with someone in the driver's seat. The vehicle changed, but it was always there. I was afraid to leave my house for a few days, but finally I was running out of groceries and I had to. The pickup followed me to the general store and I feared the worst, but everyone was pleasant to me, as if nothing was wrong. And finally, I went back to work. John and Maria were pleased to see me. John patted me on the back and reminded me that I was family now. They fed me breakfast and then Maria gave me a bottle of love's devotion. My favorite, she said, and her eyes shone with pride as I accepted it. I understand what that flavor is, the one that eludes me. It's meat, organ meat, the flesh of a human heart. It's been sitting on my kitchen table for two days now. I thought, I can't drink it. I can't drink bourbon ever again after this. I did try, with a bourbon that wasn't made here, thinking I could numb myself to erase the horrible things I saw. I'd only had a few sips before I threw up, but I don't think it was a psychological revulsion. I think it was physical. I think I'm changing. I think back and I'm realizing that I've only seen the locals drink the single barrel 
nothing else. They said that the bourbon nourishes the body and spirit. I think they need it to survive. I need it now too. After I finish this, I'm going to open that bottle. It's the only bourbon I'll ever drink again. I feel I've unwittingly damned myself, and now I'm sinking deeper into the abyss. But what choice do I have? I'm fading away. My throat is parched and my tongue is dry, and mere water will not help me. I've drank the essence of the dead. And, as John and Maria have said so many times, I'm one of them now. <laughs>